0: Praise the Lord, everybody. It's good to see you in the house of the Lord this morning. And uh, we're going to invite you to stand and uh, give you an opportunity uh, to invite the presence of God uh, into his house this morning and help us to uh, study the Word of God. Let's pray and ask God to be with us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this incredible opportunity again to worship you, to exalt you, to study the Word of God. We ask that you would bless today. That the word of God find a lodging place in our heart that we might not sin against you. In Jesus' name we pray. We give you praise and glory and honor and we thank you for it. In the name of Jesus we pray. Hallelujah. We can give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. Hallelujah. He's an awesome God. He's an awesome God. God bless you. You may be seated this morning and uh, excited to see all of you out uh, in the house of the Lord. and. Uh, Trust that you've had a good weekend. I don't know about you, but the weather is turning nice finally, and uh, got one. We got almost have aisle running right back there. I uh, had an opportunity yesterday to spend uh, a few hours out on the water with my brother, uh, doing a little fishing, and it was just really nice uh, to be outside, and it was not 110 degrees and all that stuff. Uh, so, anyway, God is good to give us days like this, and uh, thank God for them. The last couple of weeks, uh, we have uh, been engaged in a Bible study about scriptural priorities, what our priorities should be. And uh, the first thing we talked about was seek ye first the kingdom, to seek first the kingdom uh, of God. That should be our number one priority. Uh, not necessarily in those orders, uh, in the order of one, two, three, and four, but it should be a priority over uh, anything else in our life. Uh, as far as uh, our our things that we do, our activities and stuff, uh, seeking first the kingdom should be the number one priority, and then uh, another one of our number one priorities would be rec- being reconciled to your brother. And we talked about that the last two Sundays. About forgiving uh, our brother of their offenses, not your blood brother, but our fellow human beings. Also forgiving yourself, and then in some circumstances, sometimes people need to forgive God. Not because God needs for for, for forgiveness for anything, not because He's done anything wrong, but because we hold grudges sometimes against God. We need to get them out of us, and we talked about that, and then. This week we're going to uh, start a, uh, a Bible study uh, under scriptural priorities. It may uh, take this it may take two weeks to get done with this one. Uh, so if it does, please be here next Sunday to hear the conclusion. It's one that, that we get uh, crossed up with a lot as, as the children of God and, and being on both sides of the fence. So I want to talk about, that this morning. We're talking about scriptural priorities, uh, and this scripture reading today is going to come out of Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Jesus is uh, talking uh, and preaching the Sermon on the Mount. You'll remember Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, an incredible uh, setting in the scripture of just, just, in my opinion, some of the Uh, The best teaching that you can get and how to live and what to live and how how to be, obviously coming out of the mouth of Jesus himself. But Jesus uh, spoke in Matthew chapter 7 verses 1 through 5 and it's a scripture setting that we oftentimes quote, we we fall back on this a lot and uh, so we're going to talk about it. Jesus said, judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged, and with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye, thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam, Or cast out, yeah, cast out the beam out of thine eye, own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote of thy brother's eye. We're going to talk about for a few moments uh, this morning, cast out the beam of thine own eye. First, cast out the beam of thine own eye. Uh, And again, we talked about first seek ye first the kingdom Uh, And then first be reconciled to your brother, and then this week we're going to talk about first cast out the beam out of thine own eye. In our scriptural text, Jesus is talking to us about two important needs in this scripture reading. There's two very important needs, and I want you to understand that both of them are needs and both of them are important. The first thing he says that we are going to need to do is to remove the mote from our brother's eye. And, he, and then he also says in this scripture setting that we're going to need to remove the beam from our own eye. So there are two needs being represented here. And he does recognize, Jesus does say that we, we need to help our brother remove the mote from his eye. However, first of all, the number one thing that we can do before we can do that is, is, is to remove the beam from our own eye. So in other words, before we can help our brother, we've got to get rid of the beam in our eye. And Jesus is, is establishing that principle here. The uh, and We'll get into what is a moat and what a beam is in just a few minutes. Uh, but we all need to look in the mirror. We all need to look in the mirror. The Bible gives a precedent for looking in the mirror of the Word of God, and to see ourselves as God sees us. We need to see ourselves the way the, the Bible sees us, the way God sees us. It is not uh, just sufficient for us to, to measure and to judge our brother. And we're going to get into judging in just a few minutes. Uh, it may not be what you think it is. But uh, we, need to, we need to use the Word of God to judge us before we should be able to judge others. And we're going to go to James chapter 1 verse 25 through tw- uh, 21 through 25, James chapter one, verse 21 through 25. Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity, of naughtiness. Receive with meekness the engrafted word of God, which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. There's a whole Bible study right there about being a doer of the word of God and not just a hearer. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man, beholding his natural face in a glass. For when he beholdeth, when he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whosoever looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, Notice, continue and do it. He being not a forgetful here, but a doer of the, of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So we need to uh, do an inventory of us. It is necessary to do an inventory of yourself and use the word of God as the basis for that. We don't use other people as the basis for that. We don't use uh, what somebody said as the basis of that. It's amazing to me uh, how uh, society and how religious culture has gotten to the point where it says that certain things are okay. I read just this morning uh, on, uh, on the news online that yesterday the Presbyterian Church in the United States ordained their first openly gay minister. Well, religious society, it was, it was done in Wisconsin and they said that when they finally introduced him, this was his ordination service, when, when they introduced him, hundreds of people uh, jumped up in the Presbyterian church and began to clap their hands and began to shout and cheer and, and they were so excited and so happy and even one of the parishioners of that church was quoted by the Associated Press as saying that just don't happen in the Presbyterian church, our hands are normally in our laps. They can't, in their religious teaching, they can't clap their hands for Jesus, but they can for a gay preacher. It shows you where society has gotten and what what religion has said is now okay. We don't measure ourselves against what society says is okay. We don't, uh, the Bible is very clear in James. It's very clear that we we look into the perfect law of liberty. If you want to know what kind of person you are, you look into the Word of God. Don't go online and look at the news and say, well, I mean, if they say it's okay, I guess it's okay. We look into the Word of God. So Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 is using these words, judge not that ye be not judged. And it's, oftentimes we, we get this out of context. Uh, we get it a little bit mixed up. We're going to talk about judging in just a few moments. He is saying, Jesus is saying here that you will, uh, you're, you're told you're not to judge anybody or anyone as being evil. You're not to judge them that they're being wrong. You're not to judge them that they're wicked. None of us want to sit in a judgment seat. But God does expect us as men and women of God to render judgment in certain areas. Everybody says, well, the Bible says judge not. But the Bible also says you will judge all things. So is there a contradiction? I do not believe that the Bible contradicts itself in any place. And we're going to study this uh, and we're going to talk about this. The word judge in this context comes from a Greek word, krino, meaning to distinguish, decide, to try, condemn, punish, avenge, conclude, decree, determine, and esteem. It's a very long uh, definition of that word, judge. It is it is evident here that Jesus is telling us not to condemn, don't punish our brethren unjustifi- unjustifiably, don't condemn people unjustifiably. It is also evident that He is not restricting or denying us the scriptural responsibility of making godly, biblical decisions as dictated by His Word. It is evident that Jesus is not trying to tell us, don't make a decision based on the Word of God. I've, I went to uh, a funeral about a year and a half or so ago of a man, and, and uh, I think I've mentioned this story, but his sister came up to me. The man had never served God. The sister came up to me uh, just as his wake was starting and said, do you think... That my brother was saved. I fall back on this scripture. (laughs) I don't judge. I'm not going to judge anybody's salvation. However, I know in my mind what the Bible says is required for salvation. So where I told her, "I, I can't tell you that. I don't know. Honestly, I guess, I guess that was a wrong answer maybe in some ways because I, I do feel confident in a judgment made against him. I, I don't express it uh, because I know what his life was like. And so we all, as humans, we make judgments whether you ever vocalize them or not. We all make uh, those judgments. And, and Jesus and the word of God is telling us that there are some things that we're going to have to judge. We're going to have to be able to. We're going to do it. Uh, but it's what Jesus is saying in the scripture context is don't condemn your brother over a matter when even greater things plague you. We'll talk about the moats and the beams in just a second. I don't want everybody's looking at me like, oh my goodness. I hope you're not. Uh, I don't want it to sound negative I want us to understand that uh, I mean I understand it's not real positive but don't don't take it as negative I want us to understand uh, that when uh, as 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 things uh, continue to grow as, as God continues to bless and we have uh, so many new people are, are coming in are uh, going to start coming in. There's, it's unbelievable the stories that I'm beginning to hear of people that are working with people at their jobs and, and family members and, and people that are bitter and they hate and they've got past experience with God and, and they've got all of this baggage. We're going to have to understand that what happened 10 years ago may not matter. We can't judge them for that stuff. It's time to move past all of that, all of those things. There are some things that we do judge, but there's a lot of things we don't. Now, we're going to talk about judging, and this is not an, a, a, an expansive Bible study on us judging things. So I want you to understand, don't use this and say, Brother Merrill said I could judge. It's not what it is. These are guidelines that you can begin a foundation on and study this subject for yourself. According to 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 5, we are not to judge anything before its proper time. So before you render judgment, make sure your timing Is correct. According to 1 Corinthians 6 1 through 8, we are not to take our brother to civil civil court over matters that should be settled in the church. Did you know Paul addressed that? If there is a grievance between you and a person in the church, and, and you want, man, they owe me $500, and bless God, I'm filing a lawsuit. The Bible says don't do that. If the the matter should be settled in the church, you leave it there. Um, According to John chapter 7, verse 24, we are not to judge according to how things appear. We are to judge with a righteous judgment. The old saying, you can't always judge a book by its cover. Just because some things appear some ways, and good Lord knows I've heard it. People will render judgment and know less than half the story. According to 1 Corinthians 6 and 4, we do have judgment in things pertaining to this life. We do judge things pertaining to this life. According to 1 Corinthians 5 and 12, we, the church, are to judge them that are within, talking about the saints, God judges them without the sinners. That's the Bible. And According to Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, we are inexcusable when we condemn others for things that we do ourselves. That's the old do as I say, just don't do as I do mentality. Kind of reminds you of the Pharisees and, and all of those. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 2 and 3, we will judge the world and angels in times to come. According to James 4 and 11, We make ourselves a judge of our brethren and the law, thus violating the law when we speak evil of our brethren. So be careful how you talk about people. In 1 Corinthians 5 and 3, Paul judged cases within the church when members of the church violated the word of God. Paul judged it. Who was Paul? He was the minister. It is the minister's responsibility to judge the the things in the church that violate the word of God. It's not the saint's job. I'll smile real big. For all of those sweet people that want to point out everybody else's faults and failures in the church, well, you know, so-and-so, they did such-and-such. Well, it's not your job. Shh. When it becomes an issue in the church, the pastor will address it. That's what he's there for. I'll just that little plug in there. I, I was told uh, a couple weeks ago by somebody that was a guest here that said, the church is just, it's so unbelievable how much, uh, it just seems like there's not real judgmental element of people. People can kind of come as they are and, and all of that stuff. And, and I said, yes, I mean, you know, for churches uh, that run 150 people, 200 people in that range that we're in, we don't have a huge judgmental element. And I'm thankful for that. And if you ever feel like that you need to take on that role as a judge, especially other people in our church, please don't. It is not the saint's responsibility, according to the Word of God, to judge when people fail or violate the Word of God. That's the minister's job, so leave it up to him. According to John 7 and 24, he tells us to use righteous judgment in matters that we do judge. So in those, uh, those moments when uh, somebody, uh, when, when, and look, there's been examples, uh, there's examples a lot where a pastor brings something to the church to vote on. You vote on leadership. That's a judgment you have to make. Is this person qualified to be uh, a certain position or is this person qualified to be in a certain uh, level of ministry or a certain position in the church or do we need to spend the money on a building program? Do we need to spend the money on uh, parking lot repairs? You understand the concept. There's a lot of things that we judge. And when we judge those things, use righteous judgment don't use uh, judgment that benefits you. I ain't going to say it. Make sure that when you're, when you're going through this, and, and we're going to move this judgment, move past that, but uh, make sure that when you're studying that and, and you're deciding what you should and should not biblically judge, that you keep scriptures in context Define the words and apply them properly so that you keep truth and holiness and balance and harmony in the word of God. Okay, Jesus uses these statements in Matthew chapter 7. Uh, he's setting these guidelines about moats and beams. What is he talking about? What is a moat in somebody's eye? The last moat that I saw was a ditch that was carved around a castle full of water with crocodiles in there to keep the army, the enemy out. So obviously you don't have one of those in your eye. Hopefully not. If it is, hopefully it's real small. So what does all of this mean? What is Jesus talking about? Why is this mentioned in judging when he's mentioning the same thing about judging? A moat comes from a Greek word, karphos, meaning a small dry stalk, a twig, a bit of a dried stick, or a tiny straw, or a bit of wood, such as might fly into the eye. Okay? Has anybody ever been out mowing the grass or weed eating? Or picking up twigs and and you go, man, I got something in my eye. A little piece of bark or something gets on your eye, you know what I'm talking about? That's a moat. Okay, that little, it's not something just this huge big thing, it's just a little speck a piece of a twig or something and it, your eye starts watering, turns red somebody walks up, man what's wrong with you you crying and all that stuff and you're wiping and usually makes it worse and all that stuff, you know what I'm talking about so in this scripture setting that Jesus is, is giving us in Matthew chapter 7 here's the scenario there's a man there that sees his brother with a moat in his eye it's a speck, it's a, it's a minor speck in his eye it's an irritant. It's aggravating him. And now he needs to help his brother get it out of his eye. And we all agree that that should be removed. There's nobody that says I can just live with this in my eye. Nope, never mind. I got this piece of a twig right here in my eye. My eye's running. Snot running all out my jaw and my face and all that. But that's fine. I can live with that. Nobody says that, so we all understand that needs to be removed. However, Jesus is saying in this con- in this con- in the context of the scripture that before you can help him remove that, you have to get the beam out of your eye, and we're going to talk about that beam in just a few minutes. The beam would impede the vision of the person trying to help the guy remove the moat. Do you understand? it's going to be real hard for you to walk up and say, let me help you get that speck out of your eye when you've got this big board hanging out of yours. So Jesus is saying, before you help your brother with their faults and their failures, get yours taken care of first. Because if your spiritual vision is impaired, While you're trying to help your brother remove their fault and failure, you may cause them damage because you can't see clearly. You understand that concept? Would you go to an eye doctor that was blind? Why? Hey, doc, I can't see real good out this eye. I can't see out either one of mine. Where are your eyes at now? Let me, let, me, let, me, let me just check these out real quick. Where's your eyes? Put my fingers on. Oh, yeah, uh-huh. You're not going to go to an eye doctor that can't see. As Christian people, when we engage the lives of others, and we should, when we engage the lives of others and we're going to help them, this ain't about getting glory for us. It's about helping our brother or our sister. I'm going to help you out. You have this problem in your life, and I'm going to try to help you. Make sure your life is good first. It doesn't matter how insignificant and how small the little moat is in their eye. Jesus says, get the beam out of our eye first, and then we'll be okay. According to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, the Bible says all of us, should lay aside every weight and sin that besets us or derails us or causes us distraction. There are some things that are just weights. I'm talking about removing the beam out of our eye. Some things are just weights. Let me go ahead and talk about the beam first. We understand what the mode is. We first have to get the beam out of our eye. As humanity, we have a tendency to major on the minors. As my mom used to say, make a mountain out of a what? Molehill." We place the secondary first and the first second in our procedure. Brother Tenney wrote an incredible book of his one-line quips, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And that is ever so true uh, in life. Uh, when When we approach our brother in a weakened, if we're in a weakened, impaired condition, then due to our own limited vision, because of the beam in our eye, we oftentimes do irreparable damage and harm to our brother. The word beam in this scripture setting comes from a Greek word, dukos, meaning a stick of timber through the idea of holding something up. So you're not talking about a twig. You're talking about a beam. He's literally, Jesus, when he says the word beam, he literally means a beam. You're talking about a 12 by 12, a tree trunk. So your brother has this speck in his eye. We got a tree trunk hanging out of ours, and Jesus is saying, we're going to walk up to our brother and go, let me help you with that. It's hard to see around it, and so... Uh, Jesus is saying, let's get rid of this first. Actually, uh, in, in, in honesty, Jesus is being very literal when he uses the word beam. It is a huge piece of timber to help hold up a building. Before we try to help another of some minor thing, that we should be careful to make sure we in, in, examine ourselves. And of course, we examine ourselves through the word of God. According to Matthew 23, 24, Jesus says that some strain at a gnat. I don't know why they put the G there. It's silent. It's a good gnat. If the G is silent, why do you need it? I don't understand that, Brother Chuck. Maybe some of our educators can explain why we have to have a silent G on the word gnat. But anyway, Jesus said, it's human nature. We have a hard time swallowing this little microscopic gnat, but we don't have a problem choking down a camel. According to Luke 18, 9 through 14, the Bible talks about the Pharisees and how they could quickly see the publican sin. They were quick to, to condemn the publicans and the sinners and how uh, those are so wicked we don't associate with those people, they're sinners. But yet they couldn't see their own sin. They couldn't see their own transgression in their life. Uh, Paul wrote to the church in Corinth about overlooking the moral corruption in the church while they were occupied with the, the problems of other people. It's according to 1 Corinthians 5, 1-13. The the Pharisees themselves, these religious elders, were so deeply concerned about this, imagine this, washing their hands in the utensils before they ate. That was such an important thing to them. But they couldn't see the sins inside of them that were defiling them so unbelievably that Jesus finally called them whited, whited sepulchers full of dead men's bones. They were so consumed with making sure that before I eat this Big Mac, I've got to run to go wash my hands. That's so small. It doesn't mean you shouldn't do it, but it's so small that it is not that important. And and as human beings, we have the tendency to do that. We have a tendency to minor on those things, to, to get really upset about things that don't matter and to... Ignore things that are big and huge. Hebrews uh, 12 and 1, and I mentioned a while ago, says that we should lay aside the weights and sins before we go to judge somebody, before uh, we go to help our brother. When somebody comes up and says, I'm really struggling with a problem, how are you going to help them to, to cope with that problem if your problems are worse? Romans 14, 1 through through23 the Bible talks about how we are not to offend or destroy other people over the smallest of things. And that's what happens when uh, our, our human nature kind of comes up and we decide that we're going to either a judge people uh, before time or to uh, take on that our, take on ourselves that role or, we try to help them when we ourselves are in, in not a spiritual condition that where we can help somebody. There are certain times when you just need to, to grow and to, uh, to regain your spiritual health before you can help people. You say, well, I've just got a little problem. Brother Merrill, mine's not the beam. I don't have this glaring problem it, Mine's just a little problem. I know about it, but it's small. Therefore, I can certainly, you know, be used and and I can certainly help many people and, and I can do all of these great things. And I'm never saying that we're going to be perfect in life, but understand there's degrees of spiritual condition and we have to make sure that our life adds up to what the Bible says. And so because we have this little small problem, this little small situation, and we decide that we're going to uh, really start helping people uh, and and to really uh, engage their life, and we're not going to address the problem in our life. Remember that in Ecclesiastes ten and one, the Bible says it's just a little, a little folly destroys a reputation. A little bit; it doesn't take a lot. You know, the Bible also says that if it's a little leaven it goes throughout the whole loaf. You can't have just a little folly. So if you just have a little problem with theft or a little problem with lying, you're going to have a hard time helping somebody else that has a big problem with it. Song of Solomon says that little foxes spoil the vine. 1 Corinthians 5 and 6 and Galatians 5 and 9 talking about the little leaven. That leaveneth the whole loaf. Just a little bit of a problem can can cause us to lose our ability to help other people, even if their problem is smaller. A little fire, according to James 3 and 5, can kindle a great matter. Our tongue, a little member of the body, can kindle such a fire. Can kindle such a fire. I'm going to get in trouble for this. I already know it. I was said a while ago, I went to the fishing yesterday with my brother, and I had a great time. He brought both of his daughters and his youngest daughter. I don't know how old she is. Maddie's six or seven, eight, eight, nine. Wow, she's older than I thought. She is hyper. She is wild. And I'm used to that. I have Micah. I'm not condemning her. They, my brother woke them up at 4 o'clock yesterday morning. Her older sister, Ashton, who is, I guess, 12 or so, uh, told me. She, she said, Uncle Merrill, you know when Madeline got out of bed this morning at 4 o'clock in the morning, she was dancing. She told me that on the way down fishing. I said, today is going to be a long day. When we got back to the landing yesterday and we were on our way home, I sent Christy a text. And I told her that we were on our way home and I said, Madeline hasn't shut up all day. Have you ever been in the presence of one of those kids? They just don't quit. Daddy, where's the fish? Daddy, I didn't see a fish. Daddy... I think my cork went under. Daddy, this. Daddy, that. Can I go fish by Uncle Merrill? Can I go fish up there? You know, you're on the front of the boat. It's small. It's crowded. You know, she's eight. She has this, and she's slinging that hook around the boat. We've, we have fought that all day. Daddy, this. Uncle Merrill, that. Ashton, this. When are we going to leave? Where are we going? When can we crank the boat up? When, and it's just all day, and all about school, everything, love her to death. She's a sweetheart. But she never Stop that mouth the whole day. We got to my brother's house yesterday afternoon. We unloaded the boat. I stayed and helped him out with that. And when I got in my truck and backed out of the driveway, I just stopped. I went, ah, quiet. You know what I'm talking about. So you understand where, uh, you understand what I'm talking about. Sometimes, uh, our tongue needs to cleave to the roof of our mouth and stop. Please be careful not to judge people. Please be careful not to judge people, regardless of when they walk in, regardless of what they look like, regardless of how they, how they look, appear, smell, smell. As our church is, is, is growing and becoming so attractive to, to outside people, there's, there's people, there's a girl uh, right now at work that I work with. She's, uh, she's a wonderful, wonderful young lady, has grown up a very hard, hard life. Just the epitome of, of uh, and I hate to even say it like this, and please excuse me and please don't get offended and mad, but just gutter life. Just gutter. Um, It's really hurt. She's got a lot of, of, of issues, a lot of baggage and all that stuff. And she's promised she's coming to church. And I know we would never do it. I know we would never judge anybody like that. But an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. When that young lady walks in this door, I've told Pastor... When she walks in, first of all, it's going to be a huge victory just to get her in the door. We don't judge them. And, and regardless of how things go, if she was to, to come down and, and pray through to the Holy Ghost and, and, and start serving God and, and, and had tough times in her life after that, and had some failures and, and some hard times and, and that moat would fly in her eye every now and then and, and, and that old life don't let go easy and Satan doesn't give up easy and we all understand that and there, there may be some circumstance and it's not going to be just the people that I work with but some of the people you work with and some of your family members and some of your friends when they come through this church when they come to grace everybody that's sitting in this room can't speak for everybody else because they're not here in this Bible study. But we're not going to judge them. We're not going to judge them and we're not going to go up to them to try to help them to remove the things out of their life when, the, when there's greater things that they can see as a problem in our life. You become a hypocrite that way. So, so, so mind... Uh, mind what we, our attitude towards people. Uh, going back to the scripture in James about our tongue, mind our tongue. It's one of the greatest things that some of us can do. Is mind our tongue. Stop talking about people all the time. It's amazing how you don't get a lot of response on that. You know it's true though. Don't 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 let your tongue get. Uh, overload you. Uh, we need to give attention to the small details. We need to give attention to the small faults and failures. Yes, we do. It's the same thing with the speck in our eye. You're not going to leave that unattended. You're not going to leave that untreated. Un, uh, but you're going to put your greatest effort into the biggest problem. I mean, if you were uh God forbid, but if you were in a tragic car wreck and and you were bleeding profusely and in the course of that car wreck you got a little speck of glass in your eye and the paramedics show up, are you going to tell them treat the bleeding wound or treat the piece of glass in my eye? You're going to take the most serious wound first and then work from there. So understand when we see our brother with a fault, when we see our brother or sister with a failure, when we see our brother or sister with, that doesn't add up in our estimation to the Word of God, when we see somebody that doesn't look like um, they are what we think they should be, the first thing that we should do is pray for them. The second thing we should do is keep our views and opinions and our judgments to ourselves. And then, if your life is in order, if you've taken the Word of God and you've examined your life, and your life is in order. Jesus didn't say, didn't, don't go help your brother. He didn't say that. By all means, we should help other, others. We should help our uh, fellow man uh, in their endeavors in life and, and trying to help them grow spiritually and trying to get them uh, into a better place in life. We should help them. Absolutely, we should. Jesus didn't say, don't go do it. He just said, before you do, Make sure that you're in good shape. Make sure that you're okay. And there are some things. Uh, I'll hurry real quick. One minute. There are some things that cause us to has to have an impaired spiritual vision before we can help others. There are some beams in our eyes that we have to get rid of. And if we do, we can get ri- if we can get rid of these things. We can remedy these problems. It would restore our spiritual vision. With restored spiritual vision and corrected spiritual eyesight, it would help us to walk, and it would also help us to help our brethren. How can we do that? What are some things that cause us spiritual blindness? First of all, lukewarmness can cause us to be spiritually blind, according to Revelation chapter 3. So becoming on fire for God would help us out. Hating people causes us to be in spiritual darkness. A darkness that blinds our eyes, according to 1 John. Failing to add to our faith the seven things which God requires. Does anybody know what those are? We'll talk about them. 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, the Bible talks about that. And again, to allow ourselves to be any uh, any amount of evil in us or darkness in us it will cause us to be full of darkness, according to Matthew chapter six and Luke chapter eleven, goes back to the concept of a little leaven spoileth the whole leaveneth the whole lump. So if we allow ourselves to be evil, then how can we help other people get rid of their faults and failures? If we can get ourselves in accordance with the word of God, what an impact we could have on the kingdom. If we ourselves would put forth the effort to serve God the way the Bible says, the way God wants us to serve Him, what an impact we could have on our community. What an what a impact we could have in the lives of other people. How would it be if somebody would walk up to you and say, thank you, Thank you for what you've done for me. I used to be this. I used to be that. But now my life has gotten so much better. My home has gotten better. My marriage has gotten better. My kids have gotten better because of what you've done, because of the impact you've made in my marriage, because of the impact you've made in my home. And we've done that because we can live up to the word of God and we can live up to spiritual expectations and serve God and then we can minister to others. God has called us for a great purpose, folks. He's called us for a great purpose, and now is not the time to kick back and sit back and relax. Our world needs God more now than, he ever, than they ever have, and now it's time for us to become the people of God that God expects so that we can minister to them. Praise the Lord. Thank you for your attention today, and uh, we're going to start our second service in a few minutes. I want a few minutes over. God bless you. Get up. Shake somebody's hand. Tell them you're glad to see them. In Jesus' name.